This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I am here with Jenny. Hi, Jenny. How are you? I'm great, Annie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so good to have you. So why don't you kind of take me back to the beginning? Like, where did it all start for, me, for you? Um, I, I have to say, I, I was born in 1972, grew up in South Louisiana. Um, I recently just listened to another podcast of yours um, with someone else who grew up in New Orleans, and it was very reminiscent of my upbringing. Um, alcohol was just very much a part of the culture there. And growing up, um, my dad was in the oil field and was an entertainer. He was a salesman. And so we moved around a ton. We always had Louisiana as our home base, wherever we moved. And so alcohol was just a part of our culture. Um, it, at my grandparents' house, there were, you know, conversations on the carport always involved beer and the cousins would always fight to sit on top of the ice chest because if you were sitting on top of the ice chest, then you got to be the one to open it. And there was just something you felt a part of something when you were the ones handing your uncles the beer and then they would start telling their stories. And I come from a really long line of fabulous storytellers and they seem to just be fueled with just that little bit of Bud Light or Miller Light, whatever. Um, and so that early the early identification with alcohol for me was just always in that context. It, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't anything mysterious. It just was a part of life. And I don't recall in the early days, anybody really having an issue with it. It just was something everyone did all the time. And I always associated with grownups. And um, since we did move around a lot, I think I know that that created a, a lot of insecurity in me. Um, we moved by the time I was in ninth grade, my, I was, I had been to nine different schools. And so I was a perpetual new girl. Um, and I never really thought twice about it until my adulthood, you know, until I started, we planted roots with my own kids. I knew I didn't want to do that. And while it did, I think, grant me a lot of skills, um, as an adult that I'd still use, it also created a lot of insecurity in me and a lot of, always feeling like I was on the outside and always just observing very carefully how to fit in and different ways to fit in. Um, that didn't link up with alcohol until a little bit later, but I definitely think, definitely think it had a, a big role in kind of this aha moment for me in, in early high school. Um, so growing up, it was just a big part of my family, a part of my culture. Um, my parents had a, we had a pretty chaotic life with the moving, but also my mom and dad did not have a happy marriage. They um, separated three different times and then finally divorced when I was 12. And I kind of, I guess like all divorced kids see things as a before and after um, in my household. And the drinking really ramped up for my mom um, after the divorce. And, and I don't know about my dad. I, I didn't see him as often. I saw him you know, on the weekends every other Wednesday. Um, for me, it didn't start, I, I didn't really have my first taste of alcohol until, that I remember, until my freshman year in high school. And I remember very clearly when it was, it was a, I had made the varsity soccer team, which was a big deal, and I was super excited. 
and there was a freshman initiation party that they, the seniors held and took the freshmen to. And I remember going to it, getting picked up. And I was, I was a young freshman. I think I was 13 at the time. And I remember it being at somebody's house. The parents aren't around and they were playing quarters and they were drinking beer, which wasn't weird to me because I grew up with it, started playing. And it was just one of those like surreal moments where I, I just remember having this experience of like, I was so nervous to be there and I was so anxious and I felt so, I felt like a little kid cause I was, I was 13 yeah. and I'm here with, you know, 18 year old boys, which is crazy to think about. And it just felt, I remember after like the second cup, you know, thinking I just felt loose. I felt relaxed and I felt really for the first time at home in my own skin. And, um, it just wasn't as hard to talk to people and it wasn't as hard to be there. And then, um, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and going like, oh, like my face looks weird. And it, just having that first moment, you know, looking back, I just was, I was plastered. And um, they dropped me off on the front lawn of my house. I woke up like face down in the grass. Um, thank, you know, it's one of those looking back now, just thank God nothing terrible happened. Um, but that was the, the first of, I would say, what was a pretty adventurous um, alcohol fueled high school time for at least the first couple of years because of that, because I just wanted to fit in. It made me feel like I wasn't so, I just was such an awkward person. Now I know like everyone feels awkward when they're 13 or 14, but other people were better at hiding it or something. I just felt really left out. So, um, was your high school big? It was, it was in, it was in uh, Houston and it was a, like a 7A school. So I think we had 2,400 students. So wow. it was a, it was a really big high school. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that lasted, you know, the first couple of years of high school, it wasn't, I would say it wasn't problematic looking back. It wasn't great, but it was just kind of an average, what most people were doing on the weekends. Um, everybody would find a house and you would go drink and it wasn't every weekend, but it was, it was fairly regular. Um, I, changed courses and changed friend groups in the latter, latter part of high school. And I started going to Young Life. And I don't know if you're familiar with Young Life, mm -hmm. but it's a Christian organization. Um, and that really changed the whole group of friends that I hung out with, which was a, 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 a real game changer for me. And I just, I just stopped drinking because it wasn't cool to do in that group. And I'm really grateful for that. And um, I, when I went on to college, experimented again for maybe the first year and then got back involved into another Christian organization where again, it just wasn't the thing to do. And I wanted to fit in. You can see the pattern there. And so I didn't drink. Um, and so I really did not, I wouldn't consider myself having an issue with alcohol until I was in my thirties. I probably didn't pick it up again as a regular part of life until um, probably the early 2000s. So in 2003, 2004, when I was actually at the time, um, I'm a teacher by trade. I taught for 18 years in high school and I was working at a Christian school in Atlanta, which is where we are now. And we had to actually sign an agreement when I first started teaching saying that we would not drink alcohol or take other drugs. And I remember signing it and being like, oh, it's not really a problem. I maybe have a glass of wine every now and then. And every year we would have to sign that. And I don't remember which year it was, but I remember a year where I was like, I'm going to sign this, but I'm not going to abide by it. So I don't remember how it kind of came back into my life. I think it was a bit of a rebellion 
in that we weren't supposed to drink at, as teachers and I got tired of the good girl role and I met a new group of friends, my tennis friends, and they just were more fun and more open and loose. And, and so I started drinking again. Um, and it was a really just slow progression into what I call just steady drinking. It wasn't, I, 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 the reason I really have loved everything that you've done and put together is because it, it helped me see that I had a place because I was never, I would read stories about people who had problems with alcohol and it just felt so far away from what I was. And I, I even tried AA once or twice and they literally told me like, you don't belong here. Mm. Um, and so, so going back, I, I, think I remember started drinking just on a casual basis. I had a, uh, a really big health crisis in 2005 um, when I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was 32 and my kids were six and nine at the time. It was just out of the blue. Um, I had a grapefruit sized tumor in my chest um, that really made me rethink all of my health choices. And, um, and so for a long period when I was undergoing chemo and radiation, I, I didn't drink at all. And for maybe a year after that, I was like, I'm just not gonna, you know, it's very healthy with everything. Um, and then maybe a year after that, I started drinking again. And that's when, and I don't know if it's related to that in terms of it was stress related, but that's when it really, it started to become more and more regular on a really gradual basis. Um, to the point where I would say maybe four years ago, I was regularly drinking, again, for some people, this might, might not be a lot, but for me, it was, I, I knew it wasn't healthy. I was regularly drinking like two or three big glasses of wine, not like normal glasses, you know, like I would say it's one glass when really it's probably two and a half um, and, and maybe a cocktail. And, and my husband and I had a very, it was just a nightly ritual of sitting out on our front deck and having cocktails. And um, it just was a, so much a part of my life that I just couldn't envision life without it but I got to the point where I wasn't happy with it, you know, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it, and I started looking for, I started, I was just looking through my journals in preparation for this. Cause I, I journal every morning and I think I started really reconsidering it or thinking some, there's gotta be another way, probably Christmas of 2015. Um, but I couldn't, so I was teaching at this Christian school and I didn't know where to go. I didn't, I, I was scared to go to AA because I was scared that they would find out and it would be a huge deal. It would be a huge scandal that one of their teachers is an AA, which is unfortunate. Um, I had a school issued laptop, so I couldn't, and they, they checked everything. So I couldn't look online for any help. And I remember waking up at four in the morning at my sister-in-law's house after having, you know, my three glasses, four glasses of wine, just waking up with this huge amount of anxiety, like I always did. I had no idea it was connected to drinking. And I remember just like Googling, do I have a problem, you know? And that's when it just, that's, it, that's when I started thinking about there's gotta be a better way. I just felt, I felt dead. I just felt dead inside. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't having any fun drinking. My tolerance was just getting, I've always had a high tolerance. I think I might, I joke because it's in my Cajun heritage. I think we're just born with like a mainline, you know, Bloody Mary mix in our blood. But 
my tolerance was getting higher and higher and my buzz was getting harder and harder to find and my hangovers were getting worse and worse and it just was miserable. I was miserable. And uh, my mom actually, right about that same time, maybe a year before, called me out of the blue and said, uh, I wanted to tell you that I started going to AA. And I literally, I had a, I remember this so specifically, I had a glass of wine and I did a spit take with it because it, I was so shocked that she did. And um, it really, and so she kind of told me her story. She had no idea that I was struggling on my own. And she told me her story and how much she was drinking. And when she told me how much she was drinking, my first thought was like, oh, snap, I drink more than that. And here she was like saying, you know, I knew that I had a problem and it had become so regular and it has really changed my life. And so that was a big waking up moment for me, um, as well as just just this realization that I was not happy and there had to be a better way. So yeah, that's, I need to start looking. Yeah. Yeah. That's like so interesting to like almost see a, a mirror in that and everything was happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, wow. So what happened after that? Well, I, uh, I, I started looking up, yeah, I remember looking up, you know, how do you know if you have a drinking problem? And I remember this checklist, I don't remember if it was associated with AA, but it was like 20, 20 signs you may have a problem, you know, and I, I checked probably 15 of them and I was just terrible. I was mortified. I was, I, I remember thinking, I, I have nowhere to go. I, I didn't feel like I could tell my mom because at the time we didn't have a great relationship and I didn't, I couldn't go to AA and I couldn't, I didn't want to tell my husband. I just felt really trapped and something something led me, I guess it was that same Google search to, um, Kevin O'Hara. I don't know if you know his alcohol mastery. Um, and he was the first person I heard that talked about a different way to think about alcohol rather than AA. And it was so refreshing and that I just started obsessively listening because also I loved his accent. Um, and I started obsessively listening to his podcasts and having another voice in my head was so helpful. And I didn't do anything, of course, with it. I would listen to his podcasts on the way to work. And then I would come home and crack open a beer and I would start drinking. Um, but it was just, that was a really eye opening. It just kind of started me down the path of thinking about it differently. And um, what led me to the alcohol experiment was a series of, so 2015, that's when that started, the end of 2015, 2016, I started really journaling in earnest and I can watch my journals. They're just very much like a merry-go-round. So I'm saying the same things over and over again, like it became, but I was at least writing about it now. I was talking, talking to myself and I would talk about how uh, each day I would wake up feeling this sense of like, I would just be physically hurting. I had no idea it was a hangover. Like, I don't know how I didn't think it was a hangover, but I just didn't. I just thought, well, I'm over 40. You know, I just kind of don't feel that great. I'm kind of out of shape. And and I would write about that and I would write about how like, I really need to, I'm, I think I'm going to do this. And I would make these long checklists of like how to get my life in order. Like I'm going to drink more water and I'm going to eat less this. And I'm going to try to drink only one glass of wine. And I was very, I was trying to be really strict with myself thinking that if I could just do all these things right, then my life would, something would be better. And by all accounts, I had a great freaking life, like a great marriage. I have a great job. My kids were awesome. I just couldn't figure out why I was so miserable. Um, I've been on antidepressants for a while. So I knew depression because depression runs in my family as well. And so I started reading 
uh, a book, this book, I have it, The Upward Spiral. I don't know if you've seen this one. Mm -hmm. um, it's about, it says you're using neuroscience to reverse the course of depression one small change at a time. It's by Alex Korb. And I, I read it and it talked about how drinking can have a really big impact on your depression. And I don't know why I had not really thought about that, but I hadn't. Right, me neither. <laughs> right? And so I, I was like, wow, that's interesting. And, um, but every day my journals would be the same. The mornings would be, okay, this is it. I'm going I'm, I'm to, I'm not going to drink again tonight. It just doesn't make me feel good. And by the evenings on my way home after a stressful day of work, I was just so exhausted that really all I could do was pop open the cork as I was cooking dinner and it just was in that same trap over and over again. Um, and every night after I would end up in the shower, like, you know, holding onto the rail with my head spinning a little bit and saying, trying to count my drinks. How many did I have? It was just a constant. It was so much, it was taking up so much mental energy and I never got to the point where my job was in jeopardy. I never, I maybe, I, I'll have to be completely honest. I probably did drive under the influence a couple of times. And when I, when I really told that truth to myself, that was really painful. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time in particular, my daughter, we were at a, we were at a school function and I, I never ever drank at school, but we were at a school function and I had a water bottle, kind of like the one you just had a second ago. And she was, she was younger and she much younger. She was probably 12. And she said, can I have some? And I said, yeah, she's like, it doesn't have vodka in it. And I was like, oh my God, like it was mortifying. It was mortifying. She said it in front of my students and I thought, so I had several of those kind of, you know, wake up moments where I started to really think this is, this is not going well. And I'm on a merry go round and I don't know how to get off. And um, went to one AA meeting, kind of was told it wasn't for me. My story didn't wasn't dramatic enough or they just didn't think they could help or I don't know what it was. I'm grateful now. Um, and then I, I found the alcohol experiment through Weight Watchers. I was on um, trying to go through Weight Watchers. Yeah. And somebody was talking about, and so honestly, completely honestly, it was all vanity. It was like, oh, maybe this thing will help me, maybe this thing will help me lose this 10 pounds that I've wanted to lose. And so I went on and, um, and, and signed up and just the, from the very first video, I was hooked with the complete lack of judgment and shame that, um, that you expressed. And it was such a welcome. I felt, I just felt like I was home in a really big way. Um, and I felt so, I felt not alone. It was, it was the first time in a really long time where I felt I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. I'm not broken. I just didn't know. I didn't know that all of this was happening and I didn't know that there was another way to do it. And I didn't know there was a place where I could talk about it with someone else. And so it was a real lifeline. Um, bought your book, plowed through it, did the 30 days like without stumbling at all, which completely surprised me. Um, and I have to say it was because of the, it was because of the, experimentation and the kind of playfulness in a way that I think you have that was really beautiful and the community like being able to write and talk about it and I I, I must have I think I put together like 30 blogs on the site just because it helped and it helped to have some place to do that um but it wasn't like a one and done you know it wasn't I thought it would be I was like oh I'm gonna do this and, and so I did 30 days and then I was like wow boy that's great I'm so glad that I 
I'm so glad I did that. And I'm so glad that I now understand everything there is to know about alcohol and I can now moderate. And we, at least for me, I know how that goes where for some people, I'm sure that's great for me. It wasn't. And it took, it took, I think maybe four times through different phases of the alcohol experiment. I did 30 days, I did 60 days, I did 90 days, I did eight months. And then I just finally, after all of that, it was the eighth month one that really helped me see what everybody else had been talking about. Um, getting that much time under my belt and getting a couple of holidays under my belt. And then I was like, oh, I'm done. And then that moment, I remember specifically, it just was like, I'm done, done. And I, I just haven't, I haven't looked back. Yeah. <clears throat> I love that. I mean, I think people do it in different ways, obviously. Yeah. And the experiment is meant to just be that, like an experiment. It is meant to be just like somebody, we just started a live one and somebody posted like, wow, just the reframe of this from a challenge to an experiment was so helpful. And I was yeah. like, yeah, cause that's, it should be, it should be light, you know? And then that for me, like that idea of, okay, so I'll just lengthen the time if it doesn't work. And, and there's never this kind of looming foreverness because then I think when you stop, it feels like so much freedom. You feel so alive. You're like, wow, that's just who I am now. And yeah. I didn't have to effort through it because I took it in phases that I could win. Absolutely. And that was, that was a hundred percent what did it for me in that and I'm looking back now and the reason, the reason I really, so one of the things that was very helpful, the, the community was very helpful, but the podcasts, I started, uh, so I listened to Kevin O'Hara's and then I started subscribing to yours and then a couple of other ones. Um, but I just was so hungry, especially before I actually really started. I was so hungry to hear other people's stories because I really wanted to hear, I would, I would just look for anybody that had anything remotely like mine. Yeah. I tried reading some quit lit, you know, um, and one book in particular, it was Carrie Fisher's Wishful Drinking, Wishful Thinking, Wishful Drinking. I don't know if you've read that. It's really good. I read that way before I ever thought I had a problem just because I love Star Wars, as we can see. And um, it was a great, a great read. And she, you know, battled addiction and was very open about it. But I remember one line that stuck out to me and it, it didn't, I didn't remember it until I was in the middle of this journey and she said, I never knew until I got clean and sober that I was, I, it was okay for me to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I never knew that. And that really spoke to me because I've started the, you know, quitting drinking, I thought was the thing that I was getting. I thought that's what this was all about, but it's not, it was in many ways. I think my, the farther away I get from it, my drinking was just a, a, attempted solution at the real problem. And for me, the real problem was um, not being comfortable in my own skin and not, and, and trying to make myself feel better by anything that would give me a quick hit, any sort of instant gratification. I did not know that I could be uncomfortable and that I wouldn't implode or dissolve or just, you know, I never, I just never told myself no. Um, in good ways. I told myself no in a lot of bad ways. I told, I held myself back in terms of, and made myself very small in my life. Um, and all of it just came down to this really underlying sense of, I just didn't value myself very much. And so a lot of it came back to a lot of childhood stuff, um, which I've since really begun to dig in on. 
but I was, I just wasn't capable of seeing it at all while I was numbing myself. And, and so, you know, quitting drinking, I, the first time I did the 30 day experiment, I had that pink cloud experience where I remember I wrote, I just got looked at it today where I just thought like, I'm literally floating on air. I felt my body felt so good and it was amazing. And then the second time I did the experiment, I didn't get that. And I was mad. <laughs> and I realized I was kind of using that feeling almost like another drug in a way of like, and I just had to really start, I had to really start trusting what people on the site were saying and what you would, would say in that there's just so much more available to you. There's so much more life outside of the bottle. Um, and what we think is life when we're drinking, we think, I remember, it's just so weird now because it seems like an, a lifetime ago, but I really remember thinking, well, if I can't drink, then I, there's like, what is the point? Why would I go to this party? Why would I go to this tennis thing? Why would I go here? If I'm not gonna be able to drink and everyone's drinking around me, I'm, that's just not even fun. And I, I really could not see another way. And now, um, it's just so drastically different. I just went right before all of this COVID stuff happened. I had a girl's tennis trip. My first one I'd ever been on because I was just nervous. I didn't, I thought it was going to be pretty rowdy and it was, but I didn't drink. We went out to all these bars and I danced with everybody else. I had the best time. And I had three different friends individually come up to me thinking that they were telling me a secret saying like, I really wish I could do that. Like, I wish I could just let loose and have fun. You're so comfortable with yourself. And I just had to laugh. I was like, no, no, you don't understand. This is not, I, I, I never thought I could either. And, and they were like, I could never do it. And I'm like, yeah, you could, it's totally there. Um, so hearing people's stories was so, so helpful to me, but it was really the time I put in. Like, I think at one point you talk about reps, you know, like put in your reps. It's like working out. It really is because it gives, it gave me this huge sense. Every time I would do an experiment, it gave me a sense of empowerment and a sense of confidence that like, not only could I do hard things, but that the world was a much bigger place than I thought it was. And it's given me so much, my life now looks so different from, from when I started three or four years ago. Um, I, I quit teaching. I taught for almost 20 years and I retired from that. Um, and now I'm working, I'm, I'm a writer. I work with other people on their books. I'm writing my own book. I'm, I'm doing some public speaking. I'm still working with students because I love doing that. But I'm doing all these things that I never thought I'd be brave enough to do. And I'm having so much fun. And we sold our house and moved into a condo in Midtown Atlanta. And those things I just never thought were possible. And every time I do one of those things, it's kind of another ring in, oh yeah, like, it's a big world. Life can be really big and beautiful and full of feeling and emotion. But as long as you're dampening all of that with alcohol, it just feels really far away. And it's not, it's not far away, but it feels far away. Well, it's so it's so good. And it's so true. I, what comes to my mind is like, um, like don't stop with good enough because I think what happens is that, so we think that the goal is the behavior right? Because it's the behavior, it's the drinking that seems to be when we realize it's a problem, it's like, okay, I just have to stop this behavior. Um, but I just like want to just say, like, I don't think the goal is the behavior. I think the goal is past the behavior. I think the goal is the feeling. 
right? The feeling about the behavior because, um, and I think that's what keeps so many of us stuck is we see it like, okay, the goal is the behavior. And then we see people who have achieved that. They're not drinking, but they're not happy. They're not drinking, but they're not free. And often that comes by not letting it be your own journey, you know, your journey of 30 days and then 60 days and then 90 days. And then, you know, trying and finding your own truth for you. What's Jenny's truth? Like what's Right. right for you, you know, and maybe it would have been moderating, maybe not. But like when you found that was true for you, it's like, oh, then you've passed the behavior. Now this is a choice that's directed by your feeling. And, and that's when it becomes effortless. Like that's when you, you move from, it was funny, I remember learning, I think it was Ken Blanchard's situational leadership forever ago. And it was like the four quadrants. And I'm like, this is so applicable because basically you move from being unconsciously incompetent, which means you don't know what you don't know. You don't even know right. there's a problem, right? And then you move into being, consciously incompetent and that's the moment of like oh no this is a problem but i have no idea what to do about it like i'm conscious of it i know it's a problem but i don't know how to fix it right Right. and then you start this journey and the journey can look all sorts of different ways and this is where we get tripped up because we compare this journey to so many different people and we don't honor our own journey and we we get all in our heads about it and whatever but we start this journey whatever it looks like and then we become consciously competent and for me that's the behavior like you're not drinking anymore, mm-hmm. but most people stop there. Yep. And by the way, most programs stop there. Like that's kind of the definition of, you know, continuing to think about it, even though you're not doing it. Exactly. And then I think the fourth thing is if, if we can keep going, we can become unconsciously competent. And what that means is that it's like learning to drive. We don't even think about it anymore. Right? Like that's like where, um, you know, you have, with walking, you become unconsciously competent. You can do it without thinking. And then you learn to run and then you learn to jump and then you learn to shoot a ball and then you're Michael Jordan, right? Because, but like, we have to get that out of our, our way. And if we stop at the behavior, then we're still so consumed with it mentally that we're not actually free. Yeah. No. And I, that's exactly what it is. And it's this moment. I remember you saying that I remember watching one, I don't remember where in the experiment it is, but you talked about this moment of like, I don't even think about it anymore. And I remember just like, how, like, no, there's no way, there's no way you can't not think about it. Because for me, it was such, I realize now it was such a, it was a way for me to be, to dig my heels in to the Christian world where I was like, it was me giving the middle finger to you can't tell me how to be. And so it was my weird rebellion. And then, and, and in a way, then not drinking the first, my first kind of flip or change in perspective was, well, now it's cool. Everybody can drink. They actually at that school, they, they, they pulled that part from the contracts where now you don't sign that anymore because everybody drinks and everybody knows that we just don't talk about it. And so now in a way it became rebellious for me not to drink. And that was a really important shift. And so I look back on my journey and there's several different ways I had to kind of flip it depending on where I was. And that was, a, that was a big, that was one of them, but you're absolutely right. You do get to this place, or at least I have, um, where I just, I, I genuinely don't want it and it doesn't bother me. But I, I never could have seen that coming. It was a really slow, it was a slower process than I thought, but it was an easier process than I thought. And I'm so grateful. I'm a big proponent of writing because it, I think in many ways, you know how, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time in my head I, I, and I, I talk to myself and I, I try to reason and I realized that all the years where I was drinking, I was still in my head, 
if I wasn't not allowing my body or anything to feel anything. And the more I drank, the more I numbed and the more I numbed and the more I numbed. And so I just became this real separation from my reason and my feelings and stopping drinking allowed those feelings to really come back to life, but it was not sudden. It was, it took, it took a long time. It actually, I'd say it took that eight month stint for my feelings to be like, Oh, it's safe to come out again. Like I can come out. And that, that drastically changed everything. But that unconscious, you're right, that unconscious ease, it's completely possible. But if we do focus on the behavior um, and, and don't kind of push past that and see that, there are, that there's another way to live, we never get there. Yeah, and I think that it's, um, so you say it took a long time and I need to actually find this study. I've heard about it from two very reliable sources and I've seen it once and I need to just find it again. I don't, I don't have it top of hand, so I can't say who it's from, but um, the average time that somebody takes to go through that from realizing it's a problem mm -hmm. to actually fixing the problem. And by the way, that's the behavior. That's not the unconscious. Right. It's right. just the behavior is I've, I've seen it um, six years. Wow. So like for you to be like 30, 60, 90 plus eight months, maybe that's what, 18 months or, or a yeah. year and a half? Yeah. Um, or maybe even less than a year. Like that's actually really fast. Mm. And, and by the way, that six years is just to change the behavior. It doesn't actually change freedom. Now I've talked to people who have like, I read an article um, by a sober author and basically the article is like 10 years later, I don't remember when it got easy. And I was like, wow, 10 years you can reflect back and say, it's now easy. Wow. That's 10 years. Yeah. Even though you're not drinking for 10 years, that's 10 years of being yeah. in that efforting. I'm, I'm, a, I'm aware of it and I have to effort. I have to think yeah. about it. And so I just want to encourage people like, don't give up because this, this is possible. Like you just have to stay with it. And yes, it will happen by just not drinking, but it will happen so much faster. If every time you're triggered, you dig into it. Every time That's you're right. curious about drinking, you dig into it. Every like, just, just dig in, get curious because you can solve all of those cravings and all of those triggers. Well, and that's, I love the way that you talk about curiosity. I remember something, something in the experiment had us do where we, we really paid attention to, or got curious about like when we drink, how long it feels good for and I did, I, I, I did this, I just got really curious and I paid attention and for 20 minutes, so I would have my first drink and I'd feel good for 20 minutes. And then I would feel really before 20 minutes, it would be a trigger of if the glass was a fourth full, then I, I knew I wanted another one and that wasn't comfortable. So it was really probably 18 minutes. And then the second glass, I'd feel good for about 10 minutes and the third glass, maybe five. And then after that, I felt crappy, but I would probably drink another one. Just, you know what I mean? So then I decided, wow, that's, this is one of the real moments for me is it just was a math problem where I thought, okay, so that's, let's say, let's be generous and say, so for 35 minutes a day, I I'm feeling good. And what am I sacrificing for that? I'm sacrificing the other 23 hours and, you know, however many 25 minutes, that is a terrible trade-off. If I'm going to, you know, and I wasn't even feeling good. I was feeling sort of numb. And so for me, it just became, a, that was one of the no brainers where I thought, wow, um, this is not fun. It's not fun. And it's not something I want to, I, I honestly just didn't feel like I had, my job was very taxing. My kids were, you know, at a kind of demanding age where they needed me a lot. And I, it really wasn't until they kind of graduated high school that I started this and I had some more time but I just don't, I don't, I have a limited amount of energy. 
and I didn't want to spend it anymore on counting my drinks or, you know, cause I could moderate, like I, I feel confident that I could, I just don't want to spend the energy on it. And it was easier. And I, I'm so glad that I gave it a chance. Um, and that's, again, I'll come back to that experimentation and that playfulness. I think that's such a, a beautiful gift that, that you've given to people is if you can just play with it and you don't have to be, you know, I didn't tell anybody the first maybe three or four times I went through the experiment. I didn't tell anybody because I wanted it in my back pocket. You know, I wanted to, I didn't want anybody to call me on it. And it was a big deal the first time I, I told like my tennis friends or the first time I told my husband, it was a really big deal. Um, but it, you know, in looking back, it's, um, I know it needed to be a big deal, but it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. So, um, so in all this, I think that the interesting thing is that in order to find that truth for yourself, to find trust in yourself, you actually had to be able to experiment with keeping drinking, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you had to actually not be punishing yourself for keeping drinking. Like yep. you had to get curious about it. You had to look at it like an experiment. And I, I mean, I can't tell you, like probably one of the things I get the most pushback on is that, well, it's so dangerous. It's so scary. How are you telling people to keep drinking? How are you telling people to do this? And I'm like, okay, people are adults. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to do it anyway. They right. can either do it with like this sense of like curiosity and, and find the math, find that experience for themselves or they can, you know, just do it with this sense of like, well, screw it. Now I've really messed things up. So I'm just going to, you know, go ahead and throw caution to the wind. Uh, but I think it's really interesting because I think it is a, a, just a place where it's like, okay, like you're, you're going to do what you're going to do. Like if I treat you like an adult, you treat you like an adult. And then let's take our power back in this because, you know, where did we get it that if we were drinking at all, it was a big problem. But if we're not drinking, then it's good. But then we have all this mental drama that we can't actually discover the stuff that you're talking about. You can't actually discover like without my alcohol experiment where I literally locked myself in a room and drank without me doing that. Um, I wouldn't have the freedom I have because I wouldn't have known for sure yeah. that there was nothing left in it for me. Right. Yeah. Like, and that gave me so much freedom. It, it actually is one of the things that probably gave me the most freedom and just knowing like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. It's but a paradox, it's, you know, it's just yeah. the idea of paradox. And that's, and what's so ironic about that is that's what I taught, you know, for 20 years, I taught English literature. So I taught every day about paradox and, and finding, you know, beauty in the pain and all of that stuff. And, and, and I had to really embrace that paradox. Um, and I had to also, I had to kind of play with the idea of the chicken or the egg. You, you really have to have faith that that the people that are saying that are on the other side of it, that have pushed through that membrane, you have to have faith that what they're saying is true. And you have to be, you have to hold on to that faith, but then you also have to not hold on to it too tightly because part of my whole problem in the first place was holding on to everything so tightly. You know, I didn't, I was so, and I, I was so worried that letting go of anything, it was, I, I look at it now and it's, it was all a big protective shell you know, it was a protective shell or a backpack. I see both of those as, as metaphors is how, how I used to handle things. And I think of it like I was carrying around this giant backpack and it became from my childhood where I really had to take care of myself in childhood from a pretty young age. And so I always felt like I needed to be prepared for anything. And drinking became that for me where it was like, I needed to always be prepared for something. And I was always afraid I couldn't handle things. And so like drinking just kind of helped me handle things. And then the more I drank and the longer I drank, it was just like I was filling this backpack full of heavy rocks. 
And because it was heavy, I couldn't go very fast or move very far. And so because I couldn't go very fast or move very far, I would just put more crap in the backpack in case I needed it. So I just was so burdened down with stuff I didn't need, but I was so afraid to let go of it because yeah. I, because I thought that's all I was. I thought like, I can't let anybody know that I'm suffering. I can't let anybody know that I I'm weak. I can't let anybody know anything about this. And in reality, the thing I was really suffering from was loneliness and feeling like an outsider. And you know, the best thing in the world I did to fix that is to be open about that. Mm. And drinking, I could not have done that had I not started with the problem, which was my attempted solution at all of that, was to just put down the backpack and put down the bottle of wine and say like, well, I know where that leads me. It leads me to right where I am and I don't like it. I don't know where this other path leads me. I may hate it. And if I do, I'll just go back to this. I know what this is like, but I don't know what that's like. And I'm 45 years old and I'll be danged if I'm just going to spend more time wondering if something could be better. I'm just going to give it a shot. And that was, that was the, the letting go. I didn't get to that point until like my fourth time through the experiment. You know, I successfully completed the experiment, but each time I feel like I learned, I leveled up in a way, like I learned something new. I, the, my world got a little bigger and my journal entries reflect that, which is why I go back. I talk to my students all the time about like, journaling is so great because we, our minds, they play weird tricks on us and they'll talk us out of any growth that we've done, but our journals don't lie. And our journals help, help us see patterns and help us see things in ways that we sometimes gloss over. So, you know, leveling up, it had nothing to do with me getting like better at it, but it just was, I was, I was losing a lot of that extra weight. And then finally letting go of that backpack and re and realizing like, you know what, I'll actually have more friends and people will be more open to me if I just say, hey guys, I'm lonely. I'd really like to hang out. Or I'd really, you know, I always felt like everybody else had their friends and everybody else had their things going on and no one else, no, they didn't need anybody else. And I just always, and when I started and I'm still, I still wrestle with that, but I've, I've learned that every time I make a step to be open and vulnerable, mm. guarantee you someone else is like, oh my gosh, I was thinking the same way. And like, yeah. no one's really cool. We're just pretending to be cool. Yeah. Everybody's really dorky and awkward at heart. Yeah. And, you know, Brene Brown talks about that. And she's another one. I have so much respect for her and for Anne Lamont. And there's been so many really cool women. And, and you're at the very top of that list that have really helped me by being vulnerable and by being, um, open and and playful and because I and I just I'm at the point now where I'm like life is too short um to not be playful and to take everything so seriously and to hold on so tight to everything because that's what got me in all that mess in the first place yeah it's so true and like that's what we're striving looking for anyway is that like sense of fun and playfulness and guess what not only is it available but it's like I'd say even more available. And that is my favorite drink. Those topo is chips. it not the best? Is it, do you like the grapefruit lime. kind? The grapefruit and the lime, but so good. Um, so let me, let me finish us off by asking you the question I always ask, which is if you were going to go back in time and, and tell Jenny about how life was, um, how life is now, what would you tell her? Um, it depends on which Jenny, you know? Um, I would say if I, if I would go back, I, I really would like to go back when my kids were younger. I feel like I missed a lot of that. 
Um, and I've talked with them really openly about that, which has been a real blessing in our relationship. Um, but I would just go and I would, I would give her a big hug and I would tell her that she's adorable and she's adorkable. And I would say that it's, it's, you're going to be fine. It's not nearly as scary or as hard as you think. Um, you think you're doing all this because you need it. And it's actually the very thing that's keeping you from a big, beautiful, juicy life. That's just right past. It's right past it. It's right there. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, once you can put this down, like everything can open up. You can yeah. see past it, you know? And it's like, oh, that stuff was there. It's yeah. Just and and it's just, and it's just the first of many. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, um, and it was a big one. And so I kind of consider it like a dragon, you know, that you, yeah. you, you slay the dragon or the, the, the threshold guardian that you actually become friends with and realize it can teach you something that like, now that I've done that, um, I it just, nothing seems really hard. Yeah. You know, I, I realized, Oh, I'm, I'm kind of afraid, like I'm nervous to do this podcast. It's not that it's nothing's as hard as it feels like it's. And I always feel good on the other side. If I'm going towards the direction of something that is going to make my life more alive and bigger. Um, that's, that's the main thing is I just, I want my life to be headed in those kind of directions now, not in a closed bottle. You know, I want it to be more open. I love that so much. And yeah, we talk about it like the big domino, which is like, because once you knock it over, lots of other things are easier to knock over. But also once you knock it over, you can just see, you can see all those other things that you might not even have known were there for your attention. So yep, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It was just such a pleasure. And it was so good to meet you and, and say hello and, um, hear your story. It's just awesome. Thank you. It really was an honor. And I just want to say thanks for all the work that you've done and all the people in the community and anybody that gets a chance to listen to this just um thank you for all the vulnerability and the honesty it really was a game changer for me yeah it's such a special place because i think people are just like all right let's be real and then that's just yeah. breath of fresh air yep. so awesome all right jenny have a great day we'll talk soon okay. thanks so much annie appreciate it bye 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 Hi, I'm so excited, you guys, because we are just about to start another live alcohol experiment. And if you do not know about the alcohol experiment, you need to literally drop everything right now and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash LAE. That's LAE for live alcohol experiment. And here's the thing. This 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You know it's that version that's living the most joyful life, that version that doesn't need alcohol to relax, or have a good time and that version that's having more fun and is more peaceful than ever again it's a 30-day challenge it's live it's starting on the first so hurry up go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash lab and as always rate review and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today